This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Well, it didn't even take five minutes, and we're already fired up here inside the electric factory. Talking all things, uh, really ball security there, Motesy, in the first segment. And the reaction's rolling in on Twitter. TC says you don't try that play, and we're talking about James Jalen Samuels' interception out of the Wildcat here. You don't try that deep in your own end into the short side of the field with a guy that wasn't even a QB in college. It's not like Antoine Randall L. was throwing it. Although, TC, to be fair, Jalen Samuels threw a touchdown pass in college. And so it's not like he's never thrown a pass before. Again, the Steelers, Motsi, I will 100% concede this. To win games this year, mm-hmm. uh, particularly now in what looks like, at least for this weekend until after the bye, you're probably not going to have Mason Rudolph. Right. I don't want to speculate about anything, but you're going to have to use whatever word you want, right? Be Gimmick, creative. Gimmicky. That's, I like you to see. There you go. You're going to have to be creative on offense for the rest of the season. Correct. There's no denying that. Absolutely. And we saw that creativity a week ago. And it was praised because they worked. But this is oh, just look, they finally went outside right. of their comfort zone. And, and people loved it. But that's just and that's just the fandom, that's just the media aspect of it. And that's why a lot of times as players, we tend to block out that. And that's the noise you have to block out because you understand that hey, if you make a great play, they're telling you how great you are. I take you one step further, right? You remember the Super Bowl play. James Harris interception runs back longest no, interception hold return. On, wait right, a second. Right? I forget, no, no, no. Just, just I forget yeah, that. No. Tell me yeah. wait, what happened. There? So, so, so he catches the interception. Kurt Warner runs it back hundred something plus yards. Oh, it's crazy. And Rumbling, this is stumbling. In the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, right? But you know what that call you was, right? Me James Harrison needed oxygen on that. Absolutely, on that. but but I'll take it a step further. You realize that James actually blew the call. He's supposed to rush, right? And that's why Kurt Warner throws right. the pass because he's like, oh, it's supposed to be there. It has to be there. Because Kurt Warner it. read it right. Absolutely. Yeah. So he just throws it there. So. All I'm saying is this. If the play doesn't work out like how it does for James Harrison, people are going crazy on James for not doing what he's supposed to do. But it works out. Oh, great play. Kurt Warner, he's used to, hey, man, I've seen this read. I know this call. It's muscle memory. I'm just going to throw it there. It's supposed to be there. Interception for a touchdown. And that's a quarterback, right? Hall of Fame quarterback. Because you've worked on it, right? You've practiced it. This is what you're supposed to do. You're conditioned for it. If it works, it's a great thing always. When it doesn't work, it's easy for us to always over-criticize, overreact to it. Absolutely. Why would you throw that ball crazy sitting right there? Well, because when I practiced it and I watched the film, I know he wasn't going to be there. So if you're Jalen Samuels, hey, I've seen who – if it was Deontay – I don't remember who was coming across. I think it might have been Deontay. I thought it was. But it's like, hey, I've seen him come across. I've seen this look versus zone. I've seen this look versus man in practice where the guy's coming at me. I throw it over his head. Ball's there. Oh, if Deontay's get to it, falls harmlessly to the ground. I've seen it that way. But now it's different. And like I told you off the air, the 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 speed for, for me to help the listeners out there understand how fast yeah, these things are analogy. happening. Imagine if you right now go stand on the interstate, not in your car, just go stand in the middle of the interstate. Well, don't tell people to stand in the middle I, of the interstate. The, off to the shoulder. Uh, no, no. Well, <laughs> in the game, that's what it feels like. In the game, that's what it feels like, okay? But we got some loyal listeners right, here. Right, right. So, take so, you, so take don't, you literally. Don't, don't do this literally, but <laughs> just understand the analogy, okay, people? The game, when you're in the game, this is what it feels like. You're standing on the interstate, no car in the middle of the road. Cars are driving by you 60, 70, 80, because you know you got some 4-2 guys that are 80 miles an hour. Now, just feel out how fast, imagine just how fast those cars are going by. You're thinking, man, I could get killed literally right now. That's what it feels like. And now, let me tell you, hey, man, just sidestep this way. Oh, just throw it over there. Oh, you see that guy coming? Just move over there. It's easy. 
that's what it sounds like, right? That's that's what, just understand it. And then, hey, in practice, oh, it's still fast, but it's like 30, 40, 50 miles an hour. So, hey, it's happening fast, but it's not that fast. It's like, See? It's like so that, 75%. So, so you got a little bit more time, right? But just understand when you're in that game and those people are flying by you like that, when you're on that interstate and they're going 60, 70, 80 miles by you, don't talk about, oh, you should have just did that. Or, oh, man, all you had to do was just step here and do that because it's not realistic. It happens too fast. And that's why you see wacky stuff happen sometimes. And that's the perfect example of what happened with Jalen right there. You can't tell me that the coaching staff didn't feel confident with him in that call or with him having the ball in his hands because if they didn't, they would have never caught it. Trust me. They were probably working on that before the Bengals game, too. Easily. They just didn't call and they just, they just didn't, didn't get to it, it in that right. game. Yeah. Easily. And, and trust me, they're not putting the ball in somebody's hands who they don't trust. Hey, as much as Coach Tomlin loved me, as much as I love Coach Tomlin, it was the reason why he never gave me the ball. Because he know, hey, I ain't the one to have the ball. You don't know what might happen with me. I might hold on to it. I might not. I might flip it. I, I, hey, if the people coming at me too crazy, I might, hey, I'm getting rid of this thing. You know what I mean? Because it feels like you got the, it's like hot potato. Except it's not hot potato. It's, it's, it's hey, I'm going to bring all the attention to me with this thing in my hand. And you don't want that attention because people are really out here trying to hurt you. They try to kill you. And that's not fun. But it's a reason why Jalen had the ball in his hands. They trusted him. I'm sure he trusts himself with the ball in his hands. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. And that's what happened right there, man. The reaction's already rolling in on Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at TheBody52. TheBody. And we will get to your tweets. But there was another decision. Hey, listen, we know how these things work. Oh, without a doubt. Particularly on Mondays after a loss, uh, when the losses to the Baltimore Ravens, when the team now finds itself at one and four, like there's going to be a ton of second guessing, a ton of questioning what the Steelers did across the city and across the fan base all week. One thing, though, that I liked, and I don't know, I I really want to get your opinion on this. Coach Tomlin and company are getting crushed for their decision to kick the ball in overtime, and after we saw how it worked out with what the defense was able to do on the first possession and after the way he explained it in his post game, uh-huh. I, I, that's one of those um, kind of what we were just talking about, right? Oh. When you call it, when you oh. call it. Say, say, go, go, you, th- 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 make my point. Prove my point for me. I ain't going to sit there. Prove my point. When you call, well, proving your point would have been them going down the field and winning the game instead of fumbling it. But in, in, Oh, no, no, in, no, no, no. We're talking about just the decision to I kick. Loved, I love it. No, you love it now. No, I loved it at the time. I, I did. Okay. I, well, I liked it at the time. Oh, I was about to say, don't tell me I, you loved it. After, because right. for That's a second, fair. everybody, even myself, said, man, this is a bold move. If they go down here and score a touchdown, it's over, and they will crucify Coach Tomlin sure. for, the rest of the, sure. for the rest of the season, period. In my mind at that moment, I'm thinking, you're right. It's unfair to say that I loved it. In my mind at that moment, I didn't hate it because I thought, okay, would I rather put my faith in this defense that, by the way, Motsi, how about this? Shout out. The Ravens scored on their first three possessions of the game. Mm-hmm. After that, they had six. They had two field goals the whole rest of the game in a Absolutely. game that went into overtime. Absolutely. So, with that in mind, 100%, I'd rather trust my defense than the undrafted quarterback who's making his first ever appearance in the National moving the Football ball, League. Though. He was moving the ball. Again, but again, just yeah. at that time, right? Correct. And then when he explains it after the game that the way the Ravens do kickoffs, you saw it. Justin Absolutely. Tucker is so good. He can get that ball to hang in the air for almost five seconds. Then you're fielding the ball on your two-yard line. Then Absolutely. you're tackled on the 15. If you go three and out in that situation, mm-hmm. you give them the ball back. They need one first down, and they're in Justin Tucker's field goal Absolutely. range. I, I think – maybe I'm wrong – I think they'll still get crushed for that decision today because people will say, oh, if you would have just taken the ball first and scored a touchdown, game's over. I, 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 like I said, I, it's unfair for me. I'd be giving myself too much credit to say that I loved it at the time. 
I liked it at the time. I still think it was the right decision. I'm going to tell you the truth. I did not like it at the time. I remember sitting there with my wife, and I'm saying, oh, my God, this is crazy. This isn't college. In college, it makes perfect sense because you know, hey, if you stop them from scoring, either way, if they do score on the opening drive, you still get the ball back. You get opportunity. I'm always a believer in when we think back on the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Patriots, you were not talking about loving those type of stuff. You were like, hey, man, whoever gets the ball first typically wins. That's the sentiment, right? When we looked at the New Orleans Saints when they played the Rams in the NFC Championship game, we said the same thing. Oh, man, hey, you had the ball first. You had the best opportunity to win. So it's easy. And like I said, I'm not you, so I don't know what you were thinking. And you said that, so I'm going to hold you because you're a man of your word, so I'm going to hold you to that. But I feel like 85% of the Steelers fans are watching this game, and even the Ravens fans were like, oh, man, you just blew it. Because we all know in the NFL, all you have to do is score a touchdown, and the game is over and over time. You won't get the ball back. And how many times historically with this defense have we seen them in critical junctions of the game, not be able to get the stop. So it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we got confidence in them. It's easy to say that. But I'm like, hey, they they moved the ball. Granted, on that last drive of regulation, they had the the um, rough in the pass on Ola, which was a bogus call. We'll get but, to that. But still, they were able to move the ball to get in the field goal range to kick it to tie it up. Sure. So it's hard to just for me to just sit here and say, oh, I was just 100% confident the defense was going to make a stop, go three and out, because that's not realistic. And knowing that Justin Tucker, if you get him cross midfield, that's field goal range for him. But if he, if the Ravens happen to kick a field goal there, you're still getting the ball back. True, I understand that element. I, but you don't want – come on, let's be real. Do you no, really want when, them to have listen, the ball first to I'm score? I'm sitting there in the DVE studio, right, and Cam Hayward goes, we want to defend that end. Yeah. And I jumped up and went, what? Yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. But, again, the Ravens hadn't scored a touchdown since the first quarter. So so you said you, – you went like that. You said, what? So at what point did you say you like the call then? Before the kickoff? 15 seconds later. Oh, okay. When I thought, okay, you're playing again with a guy who you didn't think was good enough to be one of your first, your three but, but, quarterbacks to start the year, uh-huh. who's undrafted, and you've got a defense who I felt like was really coming into their okay. own, who, again, the Ravens scored on their first three possessions of the game and uh-huh. then hadn't done zip since. Okay. And they need a touchdown, like you said. Yes. Yes, Justin Tucker, we know. I mean, he uh-huh. he, he can hit them from, from PNC Park. Absolutely. He can make those field goals. So, so you know what you just said, though, right? You just confirmed what I just said. You initially said what because that's a bogus call, and then and then you talk and then you you talked yourself in, and then you talked yourself into it. You talked yourself into it. For me, after the kickoff happened, I started talking myself into it as well. Oh man, hey, they got them backed up. They make the the play. We're good to go. I wasn't that. But when the call initially happened. You were in shock, just like the rest of us. Oh, no doubt. Right, but you said but initially. There's a difference between no. being in shock of the call and what you actually think of the call. Yeah, but that's after Obviously you process it. Obviously, I was surprised. Right, that but, never but, if, but if they would have said, hey, we're taking the ball, you would have never had to talk yourself into it. You'd be like, oh, oh we're good. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And that's all I'm saying. When the call initially happened, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, man, I wasn't worried at all. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no but after they kick it off, after I see Ben over there talking to the defense, yeah, I'm going to talk myself into it and say, you know what? Hey, man, hey, we got Bud, we got TJ, we got this guy. Hey, man, these dudes are doing that, that, and that. Oh, yeah, it's going to work out. But that's after the fact. That That's after we've hyped ourselves up to believe in it. No different than when Mason first came in when Ben got hurt, right? It wasn't the, oh, man, we got Mason. This is about to be great. It was, oh, no, it's over. When everyone was, it's done. When everyone was tweeting you their vitriol. Right, it's over. It's done. We can't win. And then it's like, oh, well, hold on. Mason could do this and do that. That's just – that's I feel like the, the biggest disconnect when we talk like media and fan reactions versus like strictly player action because it's, it's 
typically a overreaction initially, and then it's all right. We're gonna figure out a way to make ourselves then believe maybe too in much it. of a correction. Right. Okay. So let me ask you this. Mr. Non-media player guy. Oh, yeah, let's do it, man. Actually, well, I'm a media guy now. Man. What was the reaction life. on the Steelers' sideline when that decision was made then? I can assure you. They hated it. Except for maybe the 11 uh, starters Right, the right. The defense guys, they probably love it because, you know, Chris, he's the motivator. He probably goes to those guys and says, hey, look, I'm putting it on y'all. He said that in his yeah, post game. Yeah, because and he's done that before. He, he said you guys want a defining moment. Right. Go have one right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. So, it's, it's not far-fetched for him to go over there and motivate those guys to that point where you feel like, hey, I'm about to run through a wall for this man because he's going to talk about the adversity. Of, hey, our quarterback got knocked out right in front of y'all. We playing with our third quarterback this season. How are y'all going to act? This is your opportunity at Hinesville versus the Baltimore Ravens. Your chance to do something special. Your chance to have that defined moment. You want to be a great defense. A great defense is defined by how they handle these type of moments, this type of adversity. And he's talking to those guys about that. So when they go out there, absolutely, they love it. But everybody else is like, oh, man, this is kind of crazy. And then after a while, then you start coming to it. When you see that first tackle, you're like, oh, okay. The second tackle, oh, yeah, yeah. By the time you get to that third down, everybody's hyped up. Everybody's believing 100%. And now you're crowning, hey, man, great call, Coach T. But if it doesn't work out, I guarantee you the way you felt about that Wildcat call, you would feel a thousand times worse about Coach T in this. And don't say you win it because for a fact you would. No, but I told you I didn't hate the idea of the Wildcat call. I just no, no, hated no. the right, timing. Right there, right? So you don't hate the idea of deferring and letting your defense go out there first, but the timing of it. I was shocked. I told you. I screamed out, yeah. what, yeah. as soon as it happened. By the time they kicked the ball off, I had convinced myself that it was the right, right. decision. I, I just because, laughed. again, do I trust in this defense that hadn't given up a touchdown since the first quarter? Fair enough. Or do I trust in the guy that they thought was their fourth best quarterback in training fair camp enough. that was undrafted that is literally playing his first NFL action? Hey, fair enough, And we'll man. talk about Duck. He did very well. I think Absolutely. there's a lot of encouragement there. I'm not trying to poo-poo him in that yeah. way. But if it comes down to picking my defense or – you know, but either way, he was going to have to QB. Either way, he was going to go out there and have to have to produce, though. Correct? Hundred percent. Either way. What if your defense though forces a turnover there and you get the ball at the Ravens' forty yard? Absolutely. But what if they don't? Or what if your star wide receiver fumbles in your own half of the field? A whole bunch to get to. Coming up next, I, I want to talk about Mason Rudolph. That hit. Uh, what Motes thinks is a formal player. Should there have been anything else done to Earl Thomas? We'll get into all that when we return and continue to take your reaction on Twitter at Wesley Euler at TheBody52. TheBody. Euler and Motes inside the Electric Factory. You're listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is where Steelers Nation plants its flag. SNR. Steelers Nation. Steelers Nation Radio. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Rudolph is back there. He starts out of the pocket, escapes, throws it to a wide open man, first down. That is James Washington running up the field. He's across the 30, across the 35, and we have an injured Steeler behind the play. And that injured Steeler behind the play was, of course, quarterback Mason Rudolph. Uh, the NFLPA at 11.52, so less than an hour ago, exactly 50 minutes ago, the NFLPA putting out this statement. Our concerns and thoughts are with Mason Rudolph after his concussion yesterday. Our players insist on every health and safety protocol and procedure available. In light of yesterday's events, we will continue to be vigilant on specific requirements to protect our men. Arthur Motes, I know this is a loaded question, but what was your, 
initial reaction when you saw the hit, when you saw Mason down, when you saw maybe you know a second or third look at the hit? What were the first things, your initial reaction that was going through your mind at Heinz Field? Uh, my first was, well, I saw, like, obviously when he was throwing it, I was like, man, okay, he, like, he took a shot there, but didn't think anything of it. I think once we saw the reaction of his body going limp, that that's when the, and then his head hitting absolutely the that's the when the overreaction time. came. But I would say this: I guess being a player and have seen, I mean, unfortunately, I've seen a good amount of players get knocked sure. out like that. Sure, I understood. Like, okay, that is a part of it. You just hope that he's okay, and that was the biggest part. So then seeing him move after that time frame had passed, then you start to feel better about it. But I mean, it was one of those things. I didn't think it was the craziest hit. I'm like, I've seen dudes get hit harder, but it's, I told my wife at the time when she saw it because obviously we're both watching the game and she's like, oh my God. And I'm like, hey, he, it was more so he just got caught in the sweet spot. I'm right. like, I'm like, man, you see it happen with boxers all the time. You, like, if you just catch a guy in that right by the chin, you could put anyone to sleep. It, even me. I'm like, I'm a big dude. You get me right there. I'm going out like that. Like, that's just that sweet spot. And it was just a crazy feeling, man. But like I said, I was more so just glad to see, like, when he came back, too, and started moving because initially you're wondering, like, okay, you see his head hit the ground, did he break his neck, is his jaw, like, what is it? How bad is it? And I think that was more so my reaction, whereas my wife, she instantly was like, man, she's like, I'm having flashbacks of seeing Ryan out there. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I can understand that 100%. It's, it's something that, you know, like, my mom's told me this many times. My mom has worked in the trauma unit for Allegheny General and UPMC for – three, four decades. Yeah. So my mom has seen a lot of different head trauma stuff. And she's always told me, she told me this when I was playing hockey, you know, and guys on my teams would get concussions and things like that. Those are always the worst situations, right, where you have the initial blow and then, and the then directly after there's another. Yes. So it's like your, your brain, you get that initial trauma, and it's almost like your brain is more susceptible. And then seconds later, there's a second another collision yes. with the ground or a wall or boards Absolutely. or whatever it may be. Uh, certainly dangerous to see, scary to see, uh, and, and we're all happy that obviously Mason was able to regain consciousness and, and we're looking you know, for hopefully yeah. maybe some encouraging updates from him here in the next couple days. Earl Thomas came out and said that he thought that it was a clean hit and he doesn't expect any additional discipline. You concur? You agree? Well, I will say this. I know it's not the popular opinion here in Pittsburgh because it's no different when we talked about the Patriots player that hit Josh Allen, right? Where everybody was like, oh, he should be throwing out, he should be fine, he should be suspended, this and this. When you look at the play, where is he leading? He's trying to hit him in his chest. He's pushing his hands out first, but he's getting pushed from the back in terms of um, in terms of Mason. And literally, he comes down, his helmet comes down on his chin. I'm like, it's unfortunate, but did I think it was a dirty play at the time? Not at all. Did I think it was a dirty hit at the time? Not at all. And I think that's why you saw how late the flag came in. But it's easy to, once you see Mason go lifeless, Sure, that's when your emotions take over. That's when you don't even care about who it was or how it happened. You just want some type of justice. It's no different if you have a friend who gets injured by a accident, right? If he's just walking across the street, it's late at night, somebody hits him in the car, right? He couldn't see him, but he hits him. You're still just like, dang, like, yo, I don't care how it happened. I want justice. I want that guy to go to jail. I don't care if it was actually. I don't care what it was. And that was the vibe that I felt like Steeler Nation got with Earl Thomas in that particular play. You try, They try to, oh, man, perfect. perfect. I'm like, man, that's nowhere. In fact, and I said, this is like the bad part. I said, if we really wanted to talk about a, a bad hit or somebody that should have got thrown out, 
let's take it back three weeks to Bud Dupree hitting Russell Wilson on when Russell throws the ball. And, and watch how Bud drops his head, runs through, and tries to take him out. And that one wasn't even flagged, I don't exactly. think, right? Exactly. I said, that's dra- that right there, if you want to throw somebody out for something, that's what you would do. But I said, the reason why no one talked about it, because Russell didn't get hurt. Russell wasn't laying on the ground lifeless. And because that was the same pass interference, yeah. pet, right? So there was another so, controversy was so on right. the play that took everybody's Absolutely. eyeballs Whereas away. I'm like, it, it, I'm like, you've seen a guy get hit in the chest like that a thousand times, and he doesn't go, he doesn't get knocked out. But because the top of the helmet, where he's getting pushed in the back, it hits perfect. It was just a perfect storm, and it made him go to sleep. And then you see him fall, and then the reaction of Juju falling out. They're calling for the cart, him not moving. All of that played into it, and that's why I'm just like, I know it's not popular, and I know people probably won't like it. But I'm like, when you realistically look at it, you can't say if you're a fan of football, if you watch football, not even I'm not even talking about five, ten years ago. I'm saying this year. You can't say that this hasn't been way more egregious hits with way worse intentions that didn't have the same react, uh, didn't have the same result or outcome, and you were completely fine with that. Whereas that hit now, you're, and all of a sudden everybody's up in arms. Oh, throw him out. Oh, he should be fine. He should be spending. It's not realistic, man, because everybody knew it It was just one of those freak things that, hey, you hate the outcome of it. You hate it without a doubt. You hate seeing anybody get hurt. You hate seeing anybody get knocked out and lay like that. I'm thinking about his family. I'm like, man, I know if my parents are at that game, my parents are watching, and I'm laying down there like that, freaking out. they're losing it. My wife, my kids, they would lose it. But I'm like, I've been hit harder than that. I've hit people harder than that in the head and neck area. Ask Brett Favre. Stop it. <laughs> but – that's just it's, – it's, like I said, it was unfortunate, but I'm just like the the reaction is more so of the emotional side of it, of, man, this dude was laying down there lifeless. We need justice. Not, hey, it was still – it wasn't a dirty play. It wasn't something that, oh, he's intentionally trying to knock him out. I'm just like, if Earl Thomas really wanted to hurt that man, let's be real. You've seen Earl Thomas hit. Could he have – we talk about launching. If Earl Thomas really wanted to launch, could he have launched? Could he have took his head off if he really wanted to? That's all I'm saying. And like I said, it's not the popular decision, especially not here in Pittsburgh, because we're reacting with our emotions right now. But when you really look back at the hit and you can compare that exact same play to Bud Dupree hitting Russell Wilson and you applaud that and you don't have an issue with that play, even when it happened, even after the game when they're showing the highlights of you didn't have any issue with that. But with this one, it's oh so much crazier, so much worse. That's because of you seeing him lifeless on the ground. And that's what it was, in my opinion. Do you think that it was a it, it deserved a fifteen yard personal foul? Once you see him on the ground, they were going to throw the flag. But do you think that that hit? I personally no, I personally don't. But I will say this: it's because when I look at other hits in that exact same situation, that exact same scenario, when the guy doesn't get hurt, it's play on. But because he gets hurt, the reaction is it needs to be flagged. So. Would you, if if not using past as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Would you do you like? I'm assuming you think that the Bud Dupree hit on Russell Wilson should have been flagged. I do. So, it, like with that, with that notwithstanding, do you still think that in a vacuum that that hit was not a personal? Like, you get what I'm saying? I, I do, but like, you know what? What do you think? Because I'm, I'm realizing you want me to put mine out there. I put mine out there, and I told you how I feel about it. But it's easy to just say, hey, what do you think? What do you, you, you tell me, Wes, what do you think from the fans' perspective? Because from the players' perspective, I can tell you for a fact, if you go ask Bud Dupree, hey, Bud, how'd you feel about that hit? If you're in that exact situation, do you feel like you would have got flagged for that? You would have been pissed if you got flagged for that, right? 
if TJ Watt hits the guy like that and TJ gets flagged and that guy does not get knocked out, he just falls down, like 90% of the time they do, he would be pissed if he got flagged for that. We would all be going up in arms. Oh, man, he led with his arms. The dude was getting pushed. He was in the air and it's coming down like that. That's how everybody would be acting right now. But because it was our quarterback, but because he went out cold in the air, you see his arms go go locked out, and then you see his head hit the ground and him not moving, and everybody reacts the way they react. Now we're sitting in here questioning, oh, was that dirty? Was that shit he got flagged? Shit he be suspended? How big of a fine should he get? Come on, man. Like, like that's that's my biggest issue with this. Here's my biggest issue with mm-hmm. this. And you said you you asked for my opinion, you know. I'm glad you want it now after poo pooing on my Jalen Samuels takes. Hey. Uh, <laughs> Come on, you know you're my guy. Um I think it, it, right cuz we're talking again with a lot of this big picture versus vacuum. Right. In the context of this game, I think what ticks a lot of people off more and how yes. people think how could the refs wait so long to throw that flag? Mm-hmm. How could that even be a question? Uh-huh. How could that be the only thing is because they see Ola you know, hug, Absolutely. hug Lamar Jackson. Which was a bad call. And it's the same, literally, yes. a quarterback knocked out on the ground yes. as opposed to a, a guy like a teddy bear falling on yes. a quarterback equals the same amount of discipline. Yes. I, I, I don't care if you're a former player, media guy, analyst, Absolutely. if you're Gene Sterator, <laughs> Like, I think that that's just a little maddening. That's, it, that's not and, – and, again, they're two kind of separate conversations right. – but if that hit had happened to Lamar Jackson, yes. there's no chance it takes the, we- the refs 60 seconds to throw the flag but, out. But I will if say If that this. hit had happened to Ben Roethlisberger, yes. there's no chance it takes the refs 15 seconds to pull the flag out. Hold on, if that hit happens to Tom Brady say, or no, Patrick no, 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 Mahomes no. or you Aaron Rodgers. You say Ben. I've seen Ben get hit worse than that and didn't get a flag. So stop that first off. I've seen that but, with my eyes. But in the last year or two when okay. they've really taken this quarterback yes. thing to the next level, mm-hmm. when has Ben taken a hit worse than that in the last year or two? Worse than what we just saw. Not the, not not Mason getting knocked out. Just the hit on Ma- just the hit part. Come on, man. You cannot be serious. You haven't seen Benton this past year get hit harder than what we just saw well, right ben there. Ben only played five and a half quarters. This okay, past year. last year then you didn't see Ben not one time take a shot that was harder than that. Not the knock. Not him getting knocked out. The hit part. That's not realistic, and you know that. Where you was the hit? That. Where was the hit though? What do you mean? What was the hit? Listen, I know even if you're what? saying, <laughs> and I, I don't think that this is a clear black and white, correct and wrong answer. Right. I want to put that out there. Yes. If you're saying that you don't think the Earl Thomas hit was a penalty, uh-huh. the hit was still, it was still in the neck head. Oh right? my god! Was it not? Did he hit him in the chest and just happen to knock him out? Did he hit him in the waist and where, just happen where, to knock him out? Yes, actually, he did. He hit him in the chest, and then you see him getting pushed from the back, you and his said head he comes got down. Hit in the, sweet spot. the top of his helmet, as he's in his chest right here, hitting him. The top of his helmet comes down and bop hits him in the chin. That's the sweet spot. So what are you saying? So what I'm saying is I haven't seen Ben take a hit like that in the chin this year or last year. I've seen Ben take a lot of nasty hits. No, no, you said I haven't seen Ben get hit like that in the past year. In the chin, in the sweet spot. Do you know how hard it is to hit a person in the sweet spot? It just happens. You you're not you can have Earl. Listen, listen, you can have Earl. You can have Earl do that play thirty times. How many times do you really think? It's going to be the exact oh, same. Once. Exactly. Right, so right. that's what I'm telling you. You can't just have it. You're trying to slow it down. Look at this. Let's treat it like that. Oh, that's what it is. Bam. It's not real. Right. Some stuff just happened. Ryan Shazier, when he got hurt, right? Couldn't we all say the same thing? Man, we've seen 
guys get hit way harder. We've seen Ryan hit a guy way harder than that with his head down lower than that before. That same year, three weeks prior to that, versus the Baltimore Ravens. And we talked to Ryan when it happened. We said, bro, you can't do that. You hit that guy way harder with your head down. You could break your neck. And then he goes and hits the dude from the Bengals, and it wasn't even a hard hit. Same situation here, man. Sometimes freaky stuff like that happens. It's football. 100% agree, but you yes. know that when that freaky stuff happens, uh-huh. the optics of it, right? The op- when you slow it down and we look at it the a buddy, thousand times buddy, and we just change. If he doesn't go to sleep. That's the way it is in every sport. But if he doesn't go to sleep. That's the way it is in every sport. Okay, so my question sport. is this. If he doesn't go to sleep, are we talking about it right now? Just no, no. Be real. Answer me that. If, if he doesn't go okay, to sleep, going are we to, talking about to, it right now? If they didn't, if he doesn't go to sleep, <sighs> that same hit happens, and they don't throw any type of flag. Uh huh. I think it's a, it's a, it's a side discussion on okay, the show. So, today. so my question is, so why didn't we talk about Bud Dupree's hit on? Uh, we did. Wilson? Not, not initially. It waited. Remember, we had to wait till. Oh man, now they're talking about finding him. This and that. It wasn't a. It wasn't a. Hey, let's talk about this on Monday. Let's bring this up and talk about that hit. Oh my God, like this is crazy. Where was that then? If according to you, because you that's said, what I'm telling you is that optics matter in sports. Yes, seeing him get knocked from, out from matters. From an athlete standpoint, seeing him get knocked I, I get out matters. Seeing him getting knocked it out matters. matters. But the injury but, but in terms of the hit, in terms of the hit, you cannot tell me that that hit was oh so bad. No, uh, that's and that's not what I'm doing. But what I'm but, telling but you that is, is what you're you doing. Can't tell me that no, you can't doing. tell me with the optics that oh I can't believe people are outraged and they're picking no, no, this. No. To, and I already told you that I said hey we are reacting with emotion. I said it's no different. Like I said, when I looked at Bud's hit, I equate that to somebody speeding down the street and he just wrecked somebody on purpose. When I looked at Earl Thomas' hit, I equated it to somebody crossing the street, dark outside, freaky, hit him, bam, all right, oh, he's hurt. But the one guy ends up dying, the one guy, oh, he's all right, he, he just drove off. It was cool. The one you're going to react like, hey, I don't care if he, I don't care if it was innocent, I don't care if he didn't run a lot, I don't care if the light was green and he did it. The fact that my guy is hurt, I got an issue with that. And that's the reaction that we're having right now. It's not a, oh, it was oh so bad. I, I completely agree with you. We'll get back more into this. I just want to let you know that involuntary manslaughter is still manslaughter. On oh, Twitter, yeah, at yeah. Wesley Euler, at Tabati52. Unless you're not in the crosswalk. Just throwing it out Professor there. Professor Motes Monday when we return, and we'll continue to debate all of this. Get your reaction in now. Hour one in the books, another hour to come. It's Euler and Motes inside the Electric Factory on SNR. Your 24-7 home of the black and gold. This is Stephon Tewitt of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you're listening to Steeler Nation Radio. Euler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Calm, quiet Monday afternoon inside the Electric Factory. Nothing to debate, no disagreements, no airing of grievances. It's such a boring time. Jeez. And we are approaching Professor Moats Monday here. I wanted to just kind of put a bow on that real quick. Yeah. I agree with what you're saying. And something you and Brian were joking about during the break with these topics, there is a lot of moving of the goalposts because mm-hmm. everybody wants to evaluate. You know, they want to talk about the specific contact. Right. They want to talk about how we view quarterbacks in the context mm-hmm. of the National Football League. They want to talk about how seemingly right you can believe in these things or not believe in these things. Um, and then we got to talk about oh, once you see the player is either hurt or not hurt, flag or no flag. And I agree with you. That's something um, that I think the NBA and the NHL does a really bad job of. Yeah. When there's a questionable play. 
they let the player's status influence the discipline. Don't just say NBA and, and NHL. NFL is hist- – I mean, they're big in that, especially now because of – so much media attention because of the social media element where you just replay the guy getting, you know, seeing him go lights always in slow motion right, where everything looks, everything looks crazy worse. where, yeah. But for a fact, we know that if he wasn't hurt, I personally feel and I mean, I feel like the referee showed it as well. They weren't going to throw that flag because it was not a dirty, it was not so egregious. It was not by your quote, the rule book, because we all, we, Hey, the rule book sounds perfect until you really want to go into the rule book and we break down everything that's a rule book violation that we could really get on in these games. Oh, you could throw fl- multiple flags on every single hey, play. Hey, 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 and not even playing. Let's go uniform. We could just, hey, we can go down and down. If you really want to go there, we could really go down this list of buy the book and you would hate it. I feel like what is going to end up happening and what people were going to hate is, hey, make it where the quarterbacks can't get touched. If you're within two yards of the quarterback, the play is blown dead immediately. I can assure you. People would hate that, and they would say, hey, man, I'd rather you go back to hitting these guys and let the chips fall where they may because this sucks right here. But that's the way you're making it, and that's the thing that sucks as a defender. That it, it, forget even being a defender. It just sucks in general for football players because you're taking it away, even with these rules, and I understand that when people get hurt, the reactions and the outcry is so bad. It makes you worry. It's like, why, why even – why even go down there then? If, you're, if this is how we're going to react for any time somebody gets hurt, regardless of the intent, regardless of the actual hit itself, if this is how we're going to react just because of the outcome of it, don't let them be touched. And I guarantee you, people will change their perspectives drastically. They will change their stance on this drastically. Last one on this quickly before we go to go inside your classroom. Do you agree with my opinion that part of the reason why – and I'm not talking about us. I'm talking yeah. more so the reaction – from the national football fan base and Steelers fans too, is kind of what I alluded to in the sense that you see, again, Ola Adani trip and fall on Lamar Jackson, and it's the same, you know, same call, same outcome in terms of a violation as, as a violent hit. Like, do you, do you but, think but that is, plays into the some of the national this, outrage? This is what I just want to talk about. When you say a violent hit. You're right. Every hit's violent. And, and for me, that's what I'm like – a but penalty a, is a penalty. Except for Ola's, no, no. Ola's, Ola's, hit, Ola's hit on True. Lamar Jackson was True. not violent. But, but I, I'll say this. What Ola's hit, I, don't, I personally don't know where the referee was standing at, and I'm like, okay, you know what? At the end of the play where you see after Ola makes the initial contact at his waist, by the time the referee saw he might have saw him at his knees when he's wrapping him up and falling down. And that's the only thing I could think of in that regard. But in terms of the penalty – I mean, a personal foul is a personal foul. It doesn't matter if it was a fi- if you twist the guy's helmet off, like unfortunately I was a part of with Johnny Manziel. It's 15 yards, or I was a part of when I'm playing Julian Edelman and I'm in the Bills and I barely graze his face mask. It's 15 yards. The penalty is the penalty. It is what it is. So I understand like people want to say that that might be the outcry. Oh, how could that be penalized same as this? The rules are the rules. It's like, hey, an offsize penalty, or excuse me, uh, yeah, an offsize penalty in the first quarter is still the same as D4 lining up offsize at a critical junction in the game versus New England Patriots oh, two, uh, a year ago. To, you're trying to open up all the wounds But it's still the exact same, though, right? So you can't just say, oh, because this outcome was drastically worse that the penalty needs to be bigger because that's not realistic. That's not how it works. Sometimes bad stuff happens. Sometimes people are going to get hurt. It's a contact sport. It's a violent sport. And you just have to live with it sometimes. And that's what the, that's how I look at it in this case. It's a 15-yard penalty regardless how you want to slice. Even if you throw Earl Thomas out of the game, is it still a 15-yard penalty? Yeah. 
So, right. so what's the difference? It's, you're not going to make it a 40, right. 45 yard. It's penalty. not going to change. It's still 15 yards. However you want to slice it. You want to count by ones or you want to count by fives. However you want to do it, you let me know. Either way, it's going to be 15 yards. And that's just how I view it, man. Well, I know there's a lot of things that you view in a unique way. And that's why on Mondays, we like to go inside the classroom with Professor Motes. Mm-hmm. All right, Professor, what do you got for us today? All right, my little wild child, my, my favorite student that likes to get the class riled up. I got to go back to talking about defense, man, and in particular this Pittsburgh Steelers defense and how they made Lamar Jackson have to throw the ball and how when they did do that, they created those terms that we talked about. And here is why. The reason why they were able to do that is they had great rush lanes. The majority of the time you see these guys when Lamar's trying to move around a little bit, scramble, extend the plays, they're getting after him. They're making those plays. And ultimately, that's what led to him not feeling like he had the ability to scramble and get away with his legs, which is his go-to. We saw that a lot. That's his go-to. But by them understanding the rush lanes, by them staying committed to it, they were able to make him throw the ball. And it was a recipe for success, as we saw with the turnovers that they forced. It was a beautiful day for those guys. Now, my second point. My second point. How many points today, Professor? You, you, you know I'm a five guy, man. My number's 5-5. Five, five. Even when I was in Buffalo, it was 5-2, so that's two fives. So it's always going to be five points, baby. Okay, thank you. Now, now, the next point. We got to talk about that deferring in overtime. Uh-oh. I know people initially hated it. Then after Coach Tomlin explains that they love it. But I'll just tell you this, because I still saw a ton of people with their reactions on social media, and they were talking about how if you're so concerned about the hang time, him dropping on the two-yard line, why not just let him let the ball bounce into the end zone? That's what I saw. Just let it bounce into the end zone or let it bounce out of bounds. These people don't understand Justin Tucker. Do, do you realize when that ball sits there on the two-yard line and does not bounce, you have to do something with it's it? It's live. It's a live ball. Either they're going to recover it or you getting hit. It's one or the other. Or but both, you, maybe. Oh, yeah, more than likely both. But it's no guarantee that ball is going to bounce like that. That is not real. And – I took it a step further just so people can understand the degree of difficulty associated with it. I remember Boz, Chris Boswell, getting a ton of criticism for some of his kickoffs. Danny Smith getting criticism. Why Why are y'all kicking it so short like that? Why is it stopping like just kicking out the back of the end zone? No, 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 no. We've been trying to do that. It's hard to do. To get that ball to hang up five seconds in the air. That's a long time. And then to have it drop just short of the goal line. It takes a special talent, and people try it. No different than when you're punting the ball and you're trying to get the hang time. People try it, but it is a difficult skill to master, and Justin Tucker has mastered it, and that's why you make that deferring call because you understand, hey, I would much rather us be returning a punt than us have to return that kick because that kick's going to be bad news, and that's what I really liked about that call after the fact, not when it happened, after the fact. And you saw, I mean, it, it played out perfectly. It did. I think the Steelers' average start position on kickoffs was like the 17-yard line. Absolutely. They got the ball at the 30. Mm -hmm. that's, that's and, and, a, and I do like the fact that nice nobody difference. nobody talks about it until a situation like that happens, whereas Tucker's been doing this for years. Mm -hmm. And I've been a witness to it, and we would hate it. And that's why we initially started saying, hey, if they're kicking it like that, understand, like, we're going to have bad field position. It's just part of it because of you look on film, you're like, these guys are fast. No, they're not fast. That ball just sit up in the air for They've just got the best kicker we've Absolutely. ever seen. Absolutely. Like, we, we, we're hyperbolic sometimes, yeah. Motsi, you and I. All right? We, we have over-exaggerations. Yes, indeed. 
uh, Justin Tucker's the best kicker I've ever seen. Like, that, that's hey, not a hyperbolic statement. By far. <laughs> yeah. Especially. All right, Professor, please continue. Yes, yeah, so my third point. We got to talk about my man Devlin Duck Hodges. He showed what it's like to be a true professional. And this is why. A lot of times when you're the backup quarterback or when you're a guy coming in off the street, as he did a couple of weeks ago, it's easy to fall into the trap of, I'm not going to get the opportunity. Hey, I don't have to worry about it. If I come in, they're not going to call anything for me. I'm just going to hand the ball off and get out of there, right? No. Devlin showed that, hey, if they believe in you and you're prepared, you're going to get the opportunity to showcase yourself. And when he went in there, they weren't calling dinks and dunks. No. no. They were taking shots downfield. They were playing to win. And that was not only a testament to this coach that believed in Devlin, but that was Devlin believing in himself and being prepared. And that was something that I definitely wanted to highlight because so many times we see guys get opportunity. So many times we see guys come in and they're not prepared. They don't capitalize on that moment. Devlin Duck Hodges did. He had me duck calling yesterday. I was in the house. Yeah, I was doing that. because I, I went home and I watched the Mighty Ducks, all yeah, three man. of them. Like, like, just because of him. I had duck soup yesterday. Like, just because that was something I was very proud of because I was a person that's been in that position before. And I understand the significance of it. And I've seen younger guys in particular – Guys in their first or second year come in, and because mentally they're not there, mentally they're feeling down because they didn't got the opportunity, they waste that opportunity. They waste that moment, and they look terrible in it. But him, he balled. It's, it's maybe one of the few positives, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of positives I think we can take from the defense. On the offensive side of things, you gotta you got to be happy for Duck and what he was able to do. And a guy that had a really good showing in training camp, but obviously the Steelers had three good quarterbacks in front Absolutely. of him. Doesn't make the roster. They end up trading Dobbs. They bring him back. Like You have to feel good for that guy. And I'll tell you this, Motsi. We don't know Mason Rudolph's status. Right. Hey, you always know. He, or you never know, pardon me. He could play on Sunday in, in right. Los Angeles. Say he doesn't. There's the bye week after, right? It's say mm -hmm. whatever happens. If Devlin Hodges comes in, and I know the bye week complicates this, and wins a couple games as a Steelers quarterback, man, he is going to be the prom king in this town. Absolutely. People, people are going to love him because of his story. Because of, you know, now the the third, technically, but really if you include Dobbs, the fourth quarterback yes. that the Steelers have gone to this year. Absolutely. It's, like I said, it's one of the few bright spots you could take away from yesterday, certainly. Well, and I like the fact that we could all look here and say, imagine if I told you that all four-year training camp quarterbacks <laughs> would be on the NFL roster right now. Right. Like, that doesn't happen a lot. And uh, particularly, like we talk about, I mean, quarterback yeah. play is at a premium in the National Absolutely. Football League. So the fact that they have that, man, that's awesome. I still can't believe nobody even signed him as an undrafted free agent. He had to come to rookie camp here yeah. just to earn his spot in training camp. Absolutely. Good for him, man. Hey, man, it's not how you get there. It's what you do once you get there. That's right. And that's what you saw with him, man. He did a phenomenal job when he got that opportunity. Now, the fourth point in today's election. We got to talk about these pass rushers, man. We got to talk about the front four, man, the guys who were just getting after the quarterback. And in particular, you know, I'm an outside linebacker guy with Bud and TJ Watt. And the thing that I liked about them showing their impact as pass rushers to it as well, Cam, uh, Javon Hargrave, is they understood how to rush against a Lamar Jackson. They understood that he likes to move around in the pocket, but he will extend. He will extend these plays. And you saw in the Bud Dupree sack, him continuing his rush, understanding that Lamar tries to escape up the front, then he tries to get out the back, boom, Bud gets him. Understanding when TJ's getting his rush, Lamar's trying to escape, trying to escape, boom, TJ gets him. Those are the type of things that I love the most because it showed that they watched the film. It showed that they took the game plan from the classroom and implemented it on the field. And a lot of times, 
I talk about as a defense. You see, guys, we always have great plans in the classroom, in the control, kind of with the AC, your feet up, you drinking that nice Playing H2O. Playing 50%. Absolutely. Everything looks good. But when it's live action, a lot of times that plan goes out the window. You, you, you get wacky. But the fact that they implemented, the fact that they understood the rush lanes, the fact that they didn't allow Lamar to do the things that they allowed Russell Wilson to do, that was the thing that stood out to me the most. And even seeing Ola come off the bench, and granted they threw the flag on him, but even him, he still came in and ex executed the game plan. These are the type of things that are so encouraging about this defense, in particular these pass rushers, because you're seeing that all of them are understanding. All of them are getting it. And that's what is the sign of a great defense. And I think, too, right, you hear a lot of times from the Hoy Polloi, oh, they never make any adjustments. Mm -hmm. 17 points on their first three possessions Absolutely. of the game. Six, right? The rest, am I doing yeah, the math Yeah, right? two field goals. Math yeah. right there, yeah. Six the rest of the game. That's a defense that seeing Lamar in that offense for the first yep. time, they kind of had to figure it out and, and, and kind of take the licks. We talked about that, right? We did. I said even with the athletes, because you haven't seen that in 80-mile-an-hour action before, it takes time to adjust. You, you take the juju fumble out of it, and honestly, the Ravens' offense really only earned oh, yeah. three points the rest Absolutely. of the game. I, I'm telling you, uh, we've been kind of teetering on it for a few weeks here. This is a very good defense. It is, absolutely. And I think we talked about how sometimes early in the season they would get tired because of the amount of plays that were being out there. Yep. But now that you're seeing the offense sustain a little bit, get some third down conversions you're seeing this defense be a lot fresher later in the games and they're still having that same type of impact and that's the thing that i love all right professor we just got a minute here before i have to get to my next class uh, oh, yeah. last last lecture point please yes yeah, so the last one we got to talk about devin bush baby he's continuing to ball he's continuing to excel and he made the big time interception baby and the thing that i loved was this initially he was beat initially it should have been a completion but he kept playing through the play. He finished the play. And he had the wherewithal to catch, secure, and fall on the ground. Now, granted, that's another thing that's whack with three plays. I catch no catch. I don't even care no more. They called the catch, so we're going to ride with it because I'm a homer because it's Pittsburgh country, baby. So seeing him make that play, though, showing that growth, especially understanding how he struggled in coverage early on throughout the season, seeing that was a huge step in the right direction for him. So I definitely wanted to applaud him, tip my cap to him on that, and make sure that you, Wesley Euler, take that lesson. Finish always. All right. Thank you, Professor. Well, we'll see you on Friday, right? You'll be back on Friday? Hey, hey I might catch you on office hours. You always need extra. Just remember that. Yeah, you can find those office hours <laughs> on Twitter at Wesley Euler at Dabody52. Dabody. When we come back here, we're up against the break, but there's a couple couple things that uh, Motsi hit on there that I want to talk to him more about, and we'll continue to get to your reaction again at Wesley Euler at Dabody52. Rolling along here on a, a Monday where there is certainly plenty to get into. We appreciate your reaction. I appreciate Professor Motes for stopping by. As always, the fun continues inside the Electric Factory. Don't go anywhere. It's Euler and Motes. It's Steelers Blitz on SNR. The pulse of Steelers Nation. This crowd loves it. You're listening to Steelers Nation Radio. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. I never want to speak for my partner in crime, Arthur Motes, but I do think he'll echo my sentiment on this. If the Steelers are still going to salvage this season, if they're going to 
I mean, technically, they're only two games out of the division race, so they're right. still technically in the race. But if they're going to stay in the division race, play meaningful football in November and December, the defense is going to have to lead the way. Absolutely, and I think they definitely can. When you think about the talent that they have and these guys, like we talked about, are starting to come together. They're starting to become more comfortable playing. They're starting to become more comfortable with the scheme. They're starting to understand their strengths and weaknesses in game settings. I definitely think that they have the type of defense that could carry them into some of these wins and make it a legit interesting race down the stretch. We saw, and this is, it's funny. We talked about this uh, this same time. Well, I guess it would have been Wednesday of last week in regards to the Bengals game, right, and what we saw from the Steelers in terms of an offensive game plan against Cincinnati. You and I laughed about how you hear so often, right, well, why can't Coach Tomlin and company, oh, look what Bill Belichick does. Why can't they do that? Oh, look, at the, the game plan's different every week on offense. Why can't they do that? And then the Steelers come out and do that against mm-hmm. the Bengals. And then the reactions, well, it's just a gimmick. Well, it's just, you know, it's a one-off. You can't let that work, right? With the defense now, we hear kind of some of those same things, right? Oh, yep. it seems like they never adjust, and teams figure them out, and they come out and they look good, but then they can't finish. I think that's flip too, Motsi. You saw with yesterday, I thought, was particularly, you know, with you, if you look at the extenuating circumstances too, one of the finest defensive performances we've seen from the Steelers. Uh, you talked about it. Last week on Friday in your five-star Friday, your five, you know, when Professor Motes comes back to the classroom and you give us our five matchups to to watch, you talked about how, listen, Lamar's going to make plays on you, Mm -hmm. particularly early. This is the first time you've seen him. This is the first time you've faced this new-look Baltimore Ravens offense. Yeah, and the speed of it. It's going to take some time to kind of get your bearings. Uh, We saw that. The Steelers fell behind 10-0, and maybe that's something we haven't talked about enough. Man, they hung right in there in that game. It's hard to come back from a 10-point deficit in a game like that in general. But you saw – I mean, if you couldn't see the adjustments in real time in that first quarter, second quarter, the first half, mm-hmm. man, you, you, you've got you've got to give Tomlin and Butler and that defense some credit. I'm so, Like, even if you are the most anti-Tomlin and Butler guys there are, I don't know how you couldn't be impressed by that performance. Again – 17 points the Ravens come out. First three plays of the game, they score two – or first three plays. Oh, that, would have been, saying, that, that wouldn't have been good. Ah. First, first three series of the game, yeah. they, they got two touchdowns and a field goal, 17 points. Then after that, they legit moved the ball once to get into field goal position the whole rest of the game. I think we're finally what, – what Steeler – and I know sometimes – listen, it, it's hard to see the forest from the trees, right? It's hard mm-hmm. to see the forest beyond the trees. This is the defense that Steelers fans, I think, maybe ever since Ryan Shazier went down, yes. have been clamoring, have been crying, mm-hmm. have been begging for. It's here, and it's just unfortunate that there's so much going on in the injury department and in other areas. But it's they are adjusting. They're trying new things. And, boy, they're certainly talented. I agree 100%. Uh, I think you hit on it. Sometimes people are just so anti-Tomlin. Can we, can we get that on the record? Anti-Butler. This is the first time you're agreeing with me. And oh, whoop. stop it, man. You know I always agree with you, unless it's other things I don't want to agree with you about. But <laughs> I feel like a lot of times people, they do just have such disdain for those two guys and Butler and uh, Tomlin that no matter what they do, they won't give them credit. I mean, there were still people yesterday. They were trying to find reasons to bash those two guys. Oh, why would you do this? How could you do And I'm like, I understand you might want to nitpick, and that's fine. But 
when they do what they're supposed to do, when they are performing at an elite level, because that's what that was yesterday, that defense? No doubt. In the elite level? No doubt. Give them the respect. That's all I ask. I, I just – I think the, the, the biggest thing, I guess the biggest issue is just how, like you said, if it's a Belichick, if it's even Sean Payton or Harbaugh, oh, they're such elite-level coaches – uh, you oh, wouldn't they, hear that from me and they, Sean Payton. They're just so awesome with what they do. They take what they have, and they find ways to make it work, this, this, and this. Yeah, I love when I hear that about Sean Payton. I'm just like – Takes I'm, what he has? You mean one of the best five quarterbacks we've ever seen? But I'm sitting I'm looking like, man, you can't tell – like, you don't feel that same way about this Steelers team yesterday? Did you see what they did? Did you see that game? Like, from a defensive standpoint in particular, did you even offensively – you're already playing with your backup quarterback. Then you move to your third-string quarterback, and you still have a legit opportunity to win. Like, how can you bash that? How can you not be encouraged by that? How could you not applaud that by the coaching staff as well? And that's the part that always drives me nuts. And I'm like, yeah, if we want to go through and nitpick little things, cool, nitpick the little things. But at the same time, praise the big things. If we're going to do one, do, the, do, do both. And that's my biggest issue. I'm with you 100%. I've said for two weeks now that I think this could be a top 10 defense. I – a top five defense, and mm-hmm. I have no reason not to think that's going to continue. Now, like you have mentioned and we've discussed before, there's a lot of other circumstances. We thought the Steelers' defense in majority uh, has played well in San Francisco, played well against Seattle. It was just at the end of the games, again, extenuating circumstances. Absolutely. They're on the field for an extra 20, 21, 22 plays. And they take the field after a turnover to create a short field for them in that San Fran game. And they take the field on a short field. Well, not even a short field, but you could say a short versus the Ravens sure, in this particular sure. situation. Like, is that type of stuff that has happened? And speaking of which, too, the defense after the Juju fumble, mm-hmm. they did what they had to do to at least keep that in and not being a layup. Kid. Right, right, right. It, and it, my it, goodness. It, wow. 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 How have we gone wow. an hour and a half without talking yeah. about this? Man. How did that get like that? Yo, What's going on there? I thought my TV was broke. I say, how? How did that do that? How? How, I, Sway? God must have, you know, uh, he must have, Justin Tucker, like, he must have owed Justin Tucker a favor, and he came down and he blew on that yeah, ball. Yeah, he was like, hey, you go right. that way. Wow. That, that the tra- trajectory of that kick defied physics. I don't know how that went in. As soon as he hit it, we're all, oh, that's going to be wild. Oh, man. Yeah, I just, yeah. Unreal. Jason, to what I was saying about the defense and, and battling back, and Jason nails it perfectly here. Uh, even though we battled and got the lead, I still think the game, with everything going on, was lost in the first quarter. You can't spot a team like that 10 points to start a game. I, I, I agree that it's tough to spot a team like that 10 points to start a game, but I think that in the magnitude of what you were expecting over that contest, right, Yes, you would have liked to seen the offense possess the ball a little bit more in the beginning right. of the game. But those 10 points, they, they could have been 14 points. I'm certainly not pinning well, that on the and, defense. And I just I love the fact we say, like, spot them. Like, we, they, they, I trust you, they didn't want to give them those 10 points. And that, that 17 could have easily been 21. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about it. It could have easily been 21. But the defense found ways to get the job done. They found ways to, hey, make them kick a field goal here. And I understand, like you said, Retrospect, we want them to be perfect in everything they do. But, man, you can look at the Patriots yesterday. They started out, think about that game versus the Redskins. They were struggling. It was very close. Then they got after it and started making it separate a little bit. 
But every week, man, teams are going to have – some teams start off fast, some teams start off – so there's so much that goes into it. It's hard to just say, oh, man, they should have done this right here to make that happen, to make that happen. That's just not how the game goes. It's You're going to get the ebb and flow of it, man. And you're going to get even more ebbs and flows as the season goes along. I, I'm telling you, too, here, Motsi, I thought today there would be a lot of doom and gloom. Mm. Francis, I might sound crazy, but I really feel good about the team after yesterday. They really pulled together, had a great chance to win. If this keeps up, the wins will happen. And, hey, it looks bad. The record book looks bad, but they're still only two games back. And they still have to play everybody else in the division again. Mm-hmm. Haven't played uh, the, uh, the Browns yet, so it's still time and stuff happens. That's how I look at it, man. I'm encouraged by this team. This, like I said, even with the one and four record, I don't think that's indicative of the talent. I don't think that's indicative of their performances. I think that what they are lacking in is some of the minutia that it, that you talked about in terms of the fumbles late in games costing them. It's the second time this season that plays like that have cost them. I do think that at certain time times, management stuff. right? Time absolutely. When we talk about the first half, you're going into the halftime keeping that timeout. I feel like you take the time out after uh, that first play happens, you get maybe one or two more shots at the end zone. I would have liked to have seen that versus just conceding and saying, you know, I'm going to just kick the field goal. Right. But that's some of the clock management stuff that we've criticized Coach Tomlin about. Even during OTAs, we say, hey, sure. we could talk about the clock management because without a doubt, we all feel that that's something he can drastically improve on. We talk about the challenges. He could drastically improve Hey, he hit three in a, he's hit three yeah. in a row, right? Right, but those are the things that we say, hey, if we want to criticize him, these are the things we criticize him for. But at the end of the day, man, I still think, like, this team is very promising, man. When you look at just what they've been able to do, and think about this. If if we're talking to any other team and they got to go to their third quarterback or technically their fourth guy at the beginning of the season who they released and has to be the starter coming into this game, they are not going to be feeling the same way that we feel right now. No. I can show you. Nobody feels any different about Devlin Hodges being out there than they did with Mason Rudolph after seeing him go out there and produce. They're like, hey, man, this dude can ball. I said to my wife, I, I jokingly said to her, I said, hey, if he keeps this up, we're going to have a QB controversy. It's going to say, oh, man, when Mason comes back, who do you want? Because, hey, you look oh, at – Oh, I thought you meant Duck and Ben. Stop <laughs> I'm it, just bro. kidding. I'm Stop just kidding. It. Because they'll say, hey, <laughs> I had a guy ask me, do you think the coaching staff trusts Hodges more than they do Mason because they're letting Hodges throw it down the field more? Well, man, Hodges looks really comfortable in there handling the pressure, moving around. I mean, you saw them lining up trying to blitz this guy. He looked cool. You look at his number, 7 for 9, 68 yards. Ah, and who knows what would happen on that drive if Juju doesn't fumble because, hey, he hit him. It was there. It was beautiful. Moving the sticks. Let's go. You know what? It's funny you say that because I got a couple tweets during the game and, and this morning and today during the show about that same thing. So let's get into that when we return. Some of the offense that we saw under Duck and – how it's still, despite some of that success, they have left plenty to be desired in the run game. We'll Absolutely. get to your last reactions, too, on Twitter, at Wes Euler, at the Body 52. The Body. It's Euler Remotes inside the Electric Factory. You are listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Some breaking news into the Electric Factory from good friend of the show, Brian Backo. We only have two friends on this show, Motsi. Who are they? Jordan Dangerfield and Brian Backo. That's it. 
No new friends. Only two friends. We don't even need a top eight. We got a top two. Brian uh. Batko, our buddy who joins us every Thursday from the Post-Gazette. Mark Barron just had an MRI and is waiting on the results now to determine his availability for this week. We were kind of joking, Motsi. That's like – it's it's a weird – position that they put you guys in with these type of things, right? Because, like, this – Bacco literally broke this news four minutes ago. Absolutely. I mean, Barron might not even have time to call his family yet, and already the news is out there. How did you handle that when you were a player? Man, for me, I would always have to make sure that if I got hurt, I have to take my phone with me. Because once they take you off the field or whatever, or even post-game like how it is now for Mark going in, you always have to have your phone because, literally, as soon as you get done and you're talking to the doc, by the time he walks out that room, they know. Like, like, I don't know how the media gets it, but they know right then and there, and it's out there. So if you don't text your folks and let them know ahead of time, they're going to find out through social media. They're going to find out through ESPN. I think about with Jason Pierre-Paul. Remember when he when he had the firecracking accident, blew his fingers off? And how – was it? Was that Schefter? I believe it was Schefter. Yeah. They had the doctor's report. It was out. I don't even think my man was out of the, the emergency room yet, and it was already out there. He hadn't there. even taken the gauze off, right. his, off his little and, and, nubs and, yet. And that's – wow. The little nubs? Come on, man. That's – jeez, that's rough, bro. <laughs> but I, – I saw the picture. I did too. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, though. It's just like you – it's so weird because only in sports is that the case. No doubt. And only in football in particular because we talk about hockey, right? Hockey is a, Upper a body, lower body. Lower body. That's it. We, don't we know. just got news that Getty Malkin's yeah. going to miss some time with a lower body injury. Right, but, but Good luck. We, it could be a knee. It could be a bone. Yeah. It could be an ankle. It could be a but, toe. But when it comes to football, it is so specific. Oh, he has a grade two MCL tear, non-surgical. It's a grade one MCL tear. Oh, he's good. And we're even at the point now. There are people who are literally making a living being doctors on Twitter. Yes. Evaluating. Yes. The, you know, you've got like retire. I forget who the guy's name is, but he was a team doctor with well, the Chargers for years. And he like every injury that happens, he posts like a clip they, of yes, it and, and, like, and talks about here it. Here it is. This is what I think it is right here. And this is why you're just like, yo, like you're not supposed to do that. Stop it. But when you enter the, the, the element where you can have waging, where it's, the stakes are so high from a betting standpoint, the people that put that money in, they want to know all that information. Transparency. Absolutely. And if a HIPAA violation has to get, you know, skewed a little bit, if it has to get a little gray in terms of whistle out, hey, as long as we're not telling you directly, hey, we're reporters, we're doing our job. Do you have to sign anything with your NFL contracts that says, like, you won't sue for HIPAA violations? Is there something that's collectively I'm sure there, there is. I'm sure there is, but this is the funny part to me. Certain things like that, right, the NFL is able to release the information, right? Or sure. somehow the media, Brian Beckley, can get a hold of that information. But Well, he's got sources, but, maybe. But, but if Mark Barron tweets out that he was hurt and this is what it was, he would get in trouble. Like when Ola. Ola. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And that's the thing that drives me nuts. I'm like, oh, so I can hurt my knee. You can go tell whoever this media guy is, and he could drop that out there. It's a Schefter bomb. Ian Rappaport, they could put it out there. But if I myself control the narrative and I tweet out, hey, yo, man, I got a high ankle sprain. I'm going to be out six to eight weeks. I trust oh, my doctors. Yo, I'm going to get fined for that. They're going to say, hey, why did you release that information? You're not supposed to release that. That drives me absolutely bonkers, baby. I, I, it, it's crazy. It is, man, it's, it speaks to the uniqueness. Like, <laughs> it speaks to the uniqueness of the industry. The hypocrisy. Without a doubt. That's why I Gosh. love having you sit here with me, partner. You know, I mean, you've been there, done that. Like, I, I literally, I remember the, the times I've been hurt having to text my, my wife, having to text my mom and dad, 
And I can't tell anybody else on social media. I have to wait till it gets released. Even though I know what it is, even though I know by the time I get out of this media, this this medical room, it's going to be yeah, on by Twitter. By the time you walk back out to your car, it's going to be on it's Twitter. It's going to be on Twitter. But even then, I still can't retweet it. I still can't even comment on my injury. I have to give you the generic, oh, man, I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to come back from this better than ever. That's all I can say. I can't say, hey, I got this, this, and this. But but this media guy can say it. That media guy can say it. I have to wait till the team officially says it. I'm like, we're, we're, if it's only official team personnel in here, how does this official information get out there? Who's leaking it? Who is this guy? You need a whistleblower. Exactly. That's what you need, Motsi. Exactly, man. Uh, speaking of blowing the whistle, there's been some people who have been, quote, unquote, blowing the whistle at, I guess, maybe Randy Feetner, but I think more so how the Steelers handled Devlin Hodges in a short sample size, right? In a uh, – a need-to-know basis almost when he had to come into the game as opposed to the – and I think there's a lot of misconceptions with this, but the idea that, oh, they still got Mason handcuffed, right? That now, you know, even though he's played, what, 12 quarters of football, yes. something like that, they, they've still got him handcuffed. Did you notice a considerable difference in the play calling in what they did with Devlin? Was it maybe more so he's just – a little more willing as a guy who doesn't know how much of an opportunity he's going to have to get out there and sling it. How did you, because I, I, I'm sure you had people mention this to you at your guys' tailgate and maybe even on Twitter, but it, I, I got this a couple times on Twitter during the game, after the game, in the post game yesterday, that, man, it really seemed like they trusted Devlin more than Mason to, to air it out. Yeah, my thing is this. I think they trust both of the quarterbacks a lot, but at the same time, I think every player is different. And that was the biggest thing I took away from it. You can have two guys who can throw the ball really well, but certain things you feel more comfortable calling for one player versus another, and depending on the juncture of the game and things on that nature. And I think when Devlin goes in, you understand what he's capable of doing. You've seen him do it. You have a comfort level with him. And that's taking away nothing from Mason and their comfort and trust in him as well. But they say, hey, I know he's good with this call. I know he's comfortable with that call. He may not be as comfortable with this call. Him making the underneath short throws, that might not be what we want from him. That doesn't mean that they trust one more than the other. It's just this player, he probably excels more in this, whereas this player doesn't. We saw when Mason gets pressured, sometimes he struggles a little bit, right? When the guys are up in his face, he struggles a little bit. We saw with Devlin, he handles that a little bit differently. And that's probably why they say to themselves, well, hey, look, if we need him to drop back and extend the play a little bit, he can excel in that avenue. Let's get him plays where he can do that. Whereas with Mason, we know his shorts intermediate passing is top notch. I mean, going into that game, up in the first quarter, well, he was, what, 12 completions in a row dating back to the fourth quarter of the Bengals game. So when you're thinking about that, excuse me, 13 completions in a row. So when you're thinking about that, you're like, okay, that's his game. He the, No, okay, efficient. I'm getting the short intermediate, efficient. If the shot comes, I'll take it, but the short intermediate. With Devlin, you see, okay, let me extend. Let me move out the pocket a little bit. Let me dance around a little bit. Now let me take the shot. That's his game. So I don't think it's uh, an indictment on one or the other. I just think that it's just two really good players who have totally different things that they excel in. And I think that's why the calls were matching that when, when I saw him go in. Do you agree with me that there is the, not the statement, mm -hmm. but that there is the sentiment out there in Steelers Nation that, oh, well, they're still handcuffing Mason too much? Do you agree with me? Like, is that something that you hear? I'm not saying oh, you yeah, agree yeah. with I, that. No, that. I don't agree, agree, but I do hear it. I hear that. it a lot. They say, oh, you just got to let them throw the ball deep. Let them, let them chuck it. Let them chuck it. And I'm like, I understand that that might be what you think 
but it's a reason why you're not the office coordinator. And you know how you tell <laughs> you you know how you tell me a lot, right? It's like the old joke. Um, I think it was uh, I forget what coach said this. Tunch and Wolf would know, but there was a, a famous coach back in the '80s who told some media member, "You think you know, <laughs> you you think you know, but you don't you, know. Hey, you don't know." So you know I'm always, you know, listen, I, I got the stats, I got the numbers. I love I it, the, man. I got the research on that, everything. And that's why you're my favorite. I stayed up all night to find this information for you. Uh, Mason Rudolph's touchdown pass to Juju was his fourth touchdown pass of 35 or more yards this season. Mm-hmm. He's now second in the league in that regard, behind only Patrick Mahomes. Well, that's interesting. Isn't it funny how sometimes that's, the uh, – That's very interesting. You know, sometimes what your eyes are showing huh. you aren't necessarily what's going on behind the scenes. But, Arthur Motes, one thing that my eyes are showing me before we get out of here, we got to talk about this, is that the Steelers are still struggling to run the ball. And, man, of all the uh, maybe things that haven't gone the way we predicted they would coming into this year, certainly injury is a big part of right. that, this is maybe the most shocking. Uh, an offensive line that had, what, three pro bowlers last year, an offensive line that has pedigree, an offensive line that has been one of the best in the league for a few years, it's still, like, they can't run the ball as effectively as they should be. What's going on? Yeah, it's very frustrating when you're seeing it. And, honestly, I'm not sure. I I know in terms of the movement that we typically see from this O-line, we haven't been seeing that. When we look at certain positions from players in the interior aspect, we haven't been seeing it. And you don't know if it's a health issue or if it's guys maybe, you know, losing a step or whatever it may be. But we're just not seeing the same type of initial push. And James isn't having the season where he's making guys, where he's running through tackles, where he's, you know, stiff arming guys, making guys. We're not seeing that from him right now. So I'm not really sure. It's hard to put your finger on one particular oh, thing. Oh, sure. Because Everybody, we, every individual right. needs and, to and we take their performance about, to the next level. And we also talked raise about – Raise their performance. And, the, and we also talked about earlier in the season the lack of success from the receivers is playing a role in terms of – Easier to stack the box. Right, absolutely. So we're seeing that as well. So I think that it's multiple things that are factoring into it. I did like – even we talked about last week with the Wildcat, right, and how it opened up the running game. We still – even in that game, they still weren't having success running directly downhill. And we saw that again this week. So the creativity in the running game has to continue. I think that once the Wildcat issue happened with Jalen Samuels throwing interception, obviously they never went back to it. I felt like they just instantly canned it. I didn't like that idea because I thought that led to a lot of their success I'm, rushing I'm the ball last week. Yeah. But So do you think just – you know, basically, that it's not necessarily a schematic issue. It's just all, all those guys on the offensive line and the tight ends and, and James Conner just need to play to the level we know where they're capable of, right? Like raise their game a little bit to the next, like, like, you know, raise the level of their play, if yeah. you will, more I, than it is a schematic issue. I do. I, I, I feel like the scheme definitely plays a point, plays a part, and that's what we saw with the Wildcat. But the guys just have to play better. They got to get the movement up front. And that's where it starts. When you get that movement up front, that opens up a lot. Then James, make guys miss. Run through these tackles like we've seen you do in the past. When we talk about the outside guys, the receivers, make these catches so that way we can continue to spread it out and continue to get these defense to loosen up a little bit. And those are the things that continue, that have to continue to happen, and they have to excel in that for the running game to get back to at least being varsity level because right now it's JV. Oh, you're stealing a Tomlinism there. Hey, man, you know that's my dog. All right, last one for you. Joseph asks, hypothetically – 
Duck goes out to L.A., plays well. The Steelers win. After the bye, Mason is ready to come back. Do they stay with Duck or turn it back over to Mason? Man, if he's lighting it up in terms of throwing for a ton of touchdowns, I think they stay with the hot hand just because at this junction of the season, you got to get wins. And if he's leading the wins and he's lighting it up, that's the guy you got to go with. Stick with your formula if it's working, right? Thanks to everybody who chimed in on today's show, man. It was a... It was a hot one in the electric Ooh. factory. No show tomorrow, as you guys already know. Coach Tomlin, he takes Tuesdays. We will be back with Yins on Wednesday at high noon, as always. Thanks to our guy Brian LaMartina for producing the program. When we come back on Wednesday, Moats has the day off. <laughs> the day off. It's never a day off. Arthur Moats' day off. I just have other work that I have to do as well. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, 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 friend of Steelers Nation Radio, uh, you've heard him here before. Chris Carter will be sitting in with me on Wednesday. We'll still have Best of the West Wednesday. Sorry you're going to miss it this week, Motsi. <laughs> it's the highlight of my week, too. But hopefully, uh, obviously, we'll have some news from Coach Tomlin's press conference tomorrow as well, too. Hopefully more updates regarding Mason and Mark Barron and some of the under other injuries we're waiting on as well. Thanks to everybody. Thanks to the Power Grid, as always, for tuning in. And again, to our guy Brian back at HQ. We'll talk to Yens on Wednesday. Same time, same place. High noon on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio.